When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Sunday Showcase. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. Hi there and welcome back to Mutual Presents. I don't know why, but I'm especially excited to listen to science fiction in the winter and in the summer. I I don't know what's with those two seasons, but... Winter and summer seem to be sci-fi times for me. And with just a week before Christmas, I thought it would be a great time to go back and listen to Exploring Tomorrow with the double feature of Overpopulation and Planet of Geniuses. So let's wind back those clocks and head back to Mutual's YouTube channel to listen to some classics from that era. Exploring Tomorrow. your guide to these adventures of the mind, the editor of Astounding Science Fiction magazine, John Campbell, Jr. In the biblical story of the handwriting on the wall, uh, you know, everybody could see that handwriting. The king, Belshazzar, could see it clearly enough. Trouble was, he couldn't tell what it meant. If you recall, he had to call in an interpreter. A lot of people can see handwriting on the wall. The argument is, what does it mean? The thing that makes reading that handwriting on the wall so difficult many times is that the message is one we don't want, and we don't want to be able to read. Many times when a man's faced with a problem that he can't solve, he doesn't want to admit that it's an absolute limitation that cannot be broken. Then the grand old art of buck passing comes in. That's when you start saying... Well, it isn't my fault. He won't let me. Let's consider a situation of that type. My name is Lester McClellan, Secretary General of the United Nations. It was a busy day in the year 2180. The ambassador from a now independent colony on Venus was due to see me that morning. There was a note on my desk requesting me to call Dr. Kingston, head of the UN Research Bureau, as soon as I had a chance. Kingston was working on a project vital to the future of mankind. I decided to call him. Bernie, I got your message. What goes? Good news about the space drive project. There's been a substantial breakthrough. We've made a qualitative advance. And what does that mean in plain English? <laughs> that we'll be finished with the groundwork in less than a year. Maybe even next month. Uh, have you prepared a news release on this thing? Uh, not yet, Lester. We're waiting for official approval first. Uh, look, uh, can you come down to the lab sometime today? I can give you a briefing on the new material. Stood in. I'll try, but I'm not promising... The ambassador from Venus is due any minute, and you know what a tough job I'm going to have with him. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Well, Lester, if you're free at all, then... I'll call you back if I am. Right. Good luck with the ambassador. Thanks. Oh, he's coming now. I can't talk anymore. Try to see me later, will you? Bye, Bernie.
Uh, Secretary General McClellan, I'm David Rockwood, Art Secretary of Venus Central Council. How do you do? Uh, won't you be seated, Mr. Rockwood? Oh, thank you. Uh, I'm happy to welcome you back to the planet of your ancestors. Is it your first visit to Earth? It is. I wish I could hope that you'll enjoy your stay here, but I can't do that, can I? <laughs> anyway, we're very happy that the Outworlds agreed to send an observer to the Earth. We have a major problem here, Mr. Rockwood. We think your worlds can help us. Of course, you're familiar with the text of the General Assembly Resolution. Of course. The three governments of the former Earth colonies of Mars, Venus, and Callisto have sent me as their representative. The space travel is not cheap, you know. We saw no need of three observers when one would do. Uh, yes. Yes, I, I see. Um, I've arranged for you to have a brief guided tour of parts of the Earth to illustrate our population problem. Oh, very well. Uh, we've agreed to reserve decision until we've seen Earth. Uh, we can begin our tour now, if you like. <laughs> And this is the Bureau of Population Statistics. You see that screen over there, Mr. Rockwood, the one with the red numbers on it? Mm. It's the up-to-date record on Earth's population. Every birth and death is automatically set into the main computer channel as soon as it's known, and within an hour it's registered up there. Thirteen billion seven hundred and sixty-two million three hundred and twelve thousand. Last column doesn't stay still long enough for me to read it. Uh, no, it doesn't. We average half a million new Earthmen a day, and the computer has to move fast to keep up. <laughs> it's an average gain of three or four million people a week. 150 million a year. And the figure keeps rising. <laughs> what you need is a really efficient play. Something to clear away three or four billions. <laughs> I don't find that very amusing, Mr. Rockwood. An interplanetary war would achieve the same thing. Shall we move on? Down there you see New York City. Population, 15 and a half million. Incredible. One long stretch of buildings. Well, the largest city I live is only 200,000 people. I can remember when we still had trees in New York. <laughs> None anymore. Wood is a luxury on Earth now. And so is living space. Where do you expect to put the billions you're figuring on in coming years, hmm? I wish I knew. We're converting Mars and Venus and Callisto into livable worlds, but the rest of the planets are impossible to convert. We need population relief in a hurry. Meaning emigration to Venus, Mars, and Callisto. Hmm? Yes. If... If you'll permit us to send more settlers to the planets we built and colonized. Oh, come now. Do you really think we owe you the right to send the overflow to us? Let's finish the tour. We can discuss possible arrangements later. You know, the handwriting doesn't have to be on a wall. Sometimes it can be on the face of a computer, as it was this time. But the handwriting was there. But now, uh, what is the meaning of this handwriting? Does it mean that the colonists should allow Earthmen to move out? Or does it maybe have some other meaning? And this is Food Station 117, an artificial island in the Gulf of Mexico. Since we've hardly any open land on Earth for cultivation, we've turned to farming the sea. We've developed some new foods. 
These are plankton sticks. Synthesized from small sea creatures, microscopic crustaceans. Mm. And this bread comes from plankton flowers. Taste it. Oh, dear. <coughs> Not very tasty stuff, is it? No, it isn't. But half of Earth's population knows no other food. It's nutritious, and the supply is practically limitless. And we can't spare land for grazing animals. The only ones left are in the zoo. Do you care for another slice of steak? Uh, uh, no, thanks. No, thanks. This one will do very <coughs> well. Oh, uh, may I have something to drink, please? To wash away that taste. <laughs> How did you enjoy the rush hour subway ride? It was a nightmare. I've given you as good a sample of Earth's life as is possible in a single day. You've seen much of North America, but it's worse elsewhere. Why, in Asia... Oh, please, please, Mr. McLaren, no more statistics. You've made your point over and over again. I'm sorry if I've tired you. But I wanted to show you the contrast between Earth and your own uncrowded planets. And now I appeal to you, Mr. Rockwood, in the name of the humanity that's common to all our worlds. You want us to let you send overflow masses to us. We built those colonies as a safety valve for overpopulation. And now that we need to use that valve, it's shut tight. Mr. Rockwood, I'm a reasonable man. I know we're asking something that amounts to an imposition, but I beg you. I agree. Earth is terribly overcrowded. The population of Venus is about 700 million. Mars has about a billion... Callisto, 300 million. Now, these figures are close to the peak of optimum population. And since our death rates are low, thanks to medical advances, we have to keep a careful watch over birth rates to maintain normal population distribution. I ask you to let me... hear me out, please. We're deeply moved and sympathetic to your plight. We wish we could help you. We feel pity. The pity we would have for... Well, for an idiot who, given a loaded gun, proceeds to blow his brains out. What did you say? I knew how overcrowded Earth was before I took your little tour. But we haven't grown overcrowded and won't. Why? Because we have small worlds, smaller than Earth. We can't allow ourselves to breed at Earth's rate. We see the inescapable need for certain self-restrictions. You don't see the moral obligation to accept some of our excess people? We see a moral obligation to refuse. To force you to see your real problem and its solution. I am empowered by the General Assembly, Mr. Lockwood, to exert any means within my power to make you change your mind. And Earth, I'm afraid, has more armed vessels than your three worlds combined. So you're threatening war? Not war. Survival. You have country estates, rolling green fields, and we don't have an inch of free space. So you'll fight to make us let you in. <laughs> you're bigger fools than I thought. Fourteen billion of you crammed onto one world, and a mere two billion of us scattered over three. Why, a war would ruin you. We'd bomb you in a shotgun spray and knock off a hundred thousand no matter where we struck. Why, you'd have to pry us out of nooks and crannies. We'd lose perhaps a hundred million people, but you'd lose billions. <laughs> I think we could risk it. So you won't yield. 
You'd risk war even. You won't take colonists. When we colonize the stars, we shall do it differently. The stars. Yes, you're counting on them as your last hope. But do you seriously think colonizing the stars can help your population problem? Hmm? Oh, look, Mr. McClellan, even if you invented a workable star drive tomorrow, it would take five years before the first ships got off the ground. You're adding 500,000 a day. Now, how many people would these ships hold? A thousand each? With 500,000 new births a day, you wouldn't be able to ship people to the stars fast enough to keep up. The math's against you, sir. You'd have to run as fast as you could just to stay where you are. Well, I suppose there's no further negotiation we can do, Mr. Rockwood. I'll arrange for your immediate return to your home planet. But will you think about what I've said? I'll think about it, yes. But we have 14 billion people on Earth. Mr. McClellan, we're not anxious for war. But your threat doesn't scare us either. We'll fight to defend our way of life. And we'll win, sir. Good day, Mr. McClellan. his troubles along to another person. In this case, he wanted to make it that his troubles were because the colonists wouldn't let people emigrate. That wasn't the trouble. The trouble was emigration had become impossible. And that was the thing that he had to accept. And like the king in the biblical story, he didn't want that interpretation of her handwriting on the computer. Sit down, Bernie. Tell me how this star drive of yours is coming. I think we've got it licked, Lester. But you tell me how the colony's going to open up. No. No? But they can't do that. They just can't clam up and refuse to take in Earthmen. Lester, we built those colonies. They don't have the right... I want to talk about the star drive, Bernie. How close to finished is it? Well, we we haven't fully worked out the field equations yet, but with some fast computer work... I'm not interested in equations. How long do you think it'll be before Earth has spaceships that can travel faster than the speed of light, fast enough to reach the stars? I told you before, Lester, maybe a month, maybe two months. Till the pilot model is finished, that is. No more than a year, certainly. Now, you had some very interesting figures thrown at me today. Have you ever realized how many ships we'd need to send out before we can even make a dent in our population? Hundreds a day. Well, even so, it would help some to get... No, no, it wouldn't. Bernie, I want you to do me a favor. When you perfected your new star drive, hide it. Don't destroy it, because we'll need it someday, but sit on it. Put the schematics away until I give the word, and don't publish your findings. Have you gone crazy, Lester? No, I've suddenly gone stark, raving sane. Look, the new star drive is a dodge, a subterfuge. It's a substitute for the real answer to our problem, Bernie. Venus is not overcrowded. They're controlling population increase there. What does all this have to do with my star drive? Why should I stop work on it? Because it will cloud the issue. The people won't believe the figures. 
As long as there's what seems to be a way out, they'll cling to it. If you suppress the star drive, there'll be no way out at all. And Earth either cracks wide open or it grows up. There's no middle cause. And you're suggesting that I deliberately destroy my life's work. Just for a while. Sure, it's a great thing to explore the stars, but first we need to control ourselves. If the world learns that there's a star drive, they'll think it's a way out. It isn't, but we'll never convince them of it. First, we set up our population control program and make them see the need for them, get them into operation, and then reveal the existence of the drive. We may have to wait a generation. No. No, I absolutely refuse. You can't meddle with science this way, Lester. Research must continue. If you interfere with me this way, well, I'll have no choice but to resign. Your resignation is accepted, Bernie. Effective immediately. What? But I only met... I'm sorry, Bernie. So you're actually fine. If you want to call it that. You don't want to understand how disastrous it would be to continue work on the star drive, okay? Your successor will be a man who will understand such things. Maybe he won't be as gifted as you are, Bernie, but that's all right. The stars can wait. Lester, you can't fire me like this. So cold-bloodedly, so, so ruthlessly. We've been friends for years. You think I don't know that. But all along, I've been soft-hearted, been making concessions, taking the easy way out. We farmed the seas. We colonized three worlds. We cleared away half the Antarctic ice pack to make new land. All big, important things, but all dodging the real issue. Now, I'm back against the wall. The whole world is. I can't be soft-hearted anymore. Lester, this doesn't sound like you. I know, I know. You think I like the spot I'm in now? But a new order has to come about. An order which demands strength, tough-mindedness, courage. It's either that or a situation I don't want to think about. I can't let anything stand in the way now. Do I have time to clear out my office? have until tomorrow. And remember that you're still bound by security regulations in case you plan to scream to the news sheet. I'll remember it. So long, Lester. Good luck. Thanks. I'm probably going to need it. fundamental physical limitations of the amount of matter there is in the universe. Old Malthus was right. With a higher technology, you can push the limit out a little further, but not beyond the limits of the universe. They're fundamental. It becomes necessary, sooner or later, to go in for quality instead of quantity. Not for numbers but for fineness. Not for bigger, but for better. That's the direction we've got to go.
now, here is your guide to these adventures of the mind, John Campbell. The term genius is fairly common in our language today. I wonder how many of you realize that the term originated with the old Arabian Nights concept of the genie. You know, the magical creature that came in a bottle and had such wonderful powers. The story is about a whole planet of geniuses. Genie. Uh, interesting people to try to enslave, you know. Laboratory scientists have as much fun as anybody else, you know. One of the laboratory laws, sometimes called Finagle's Law or Murphy's Law, goes, in any laboratory experiment, if something can go wrong, it will. Well, this is the story of a planet-sized laboratory experiment in which something could go wrong. Excellency Marshal Gorham. The ship is now in orbit about the planet of destination. Good. Good. Have a lifeboat prepared for descent with an invisibility screen. Yes, Your Excellency. How many crewmen will you want to take along? None. There'll be just myself and you, Professor Heim. Sir? You, the Marshal, landing on a barbarian world without even an, an escort? I'm begging your pardon, sir, but... Do you mean that the Grand Marshal of the Galactic Imperial Armed Forces can't carry out an undercover inspection on a backward planet without a dozen Marines clanking in his wake? No, sir. No, sir. And please remember that the people down there have no weapon more powerful than a bow and arrow, whereas I will be carrying a nuclear blaster under my coat. Yes, sir. Of course, Your Excellency. And while we are down there on that planet, uh, Professor Heim, stand by for possible action. We may have to bombard the place with cobalt missiles. Wipe all the life off it. Sterilize the entire planet, sir? You heard me, Professor. I said we may have to. Not that we will. It depends on what I find down there. That peaceful, primitive world may turn out to be just another stupid scientific experiment. Or it may turn out to be the worst danger the Empire and all its stars have faced for a thousand years. Now, I want you, Professor. I'm in my office at once. Over. Yes, Your Excellency. Over and out. Oh, there you are, Professor Heim. Yes, Marshal Gorham, here I am. You've arrived at your experimental planet. I know. I was just watching it float there among the constellations. I don't know a more beautiful sight in the universe. Well, break out the native customs for us, too. We're going down. At once? I am a military man, Professor, not one of your psychologists. Now, so far, your people have spent 1,500 years studying that planet. But as for me, there's war on the Imperial borders, and I can spare three days. Three days to decide to decide whether we can let your experiment go on or whether to, to discontinue it, shall I say? But only three days. Marshal, you don't realize it. it would take a week just to explain the statistics of... I know, I've heard it all. Fifteen hundred years ago, the Psychological Research Foundation decided to learn what makes human history tick by running controlled experiments. So it took a lot of uninhabited planets and put different kinds of people on them. Well, their memories wiped out, Marshal. The first generation started out knowing as little as animals. They, they had to discover everything for themselves. Fire, language, the wheel. Do you imagine that their descendants could have learned enough to menace us? To threaten an empire that for 3,000 years has controlled millions of planetary systems? We've been through all this before, I am. I've told you again and again, I'm not worried about your other experimental worlds. They're still cavemen or less. But this planet here, pure genius stock, 
A planet where nobody has an IQ below 150. And God knows how high they go. Well, I just can't tell about them. And His Majesty is worried, too. There have been rumors. He sent me here himself to decide whether or not those rumors could be true. But the people down there don't even know the Galactic Empire exists. Why, the men there are still farming with plows and sailing in steamships. Sure, sure, one of it. Ordinary men on Earth with an average IQ of 100 needed maybe half a million years to get as far as your geniuses have in 1500. I understand they've already developed Newtonian physics, chemical batteries, telescopes, world governments. At that rate, they'll be visiting the other planets of this system in 50 years. They'll reach the stars in a century, and then they'll be loose on the Galactic Empire. Do you think they'd fit tamely into the caste system like good subjects of the Emperor? Why, they couldn't even if they tried. They'd produce a new invention and a new philosopher every day. And that would mean the end of stability, and that, Professor, would mean the end of the Empire. So you say, but you're a soldier. You don't understand. Yes, I know. I'm a dirty militarist who can't see past the end of my own guns. All I'm good for is killing, huh? And you're a noble intellectual scientist. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that guff before, Professor, and I've gotten pretty tired of it. But I tell you, the genius people are, are cooperative and... My orders are to inspect the place and decide for myself whether they're right or not. So that's what I'm going to do. Come along, I'm... Exploring Tomorrow continues in just a moment. When driving, luck can stay with you for years. But on the road, it can leave you in a split second, a tragic split second. So drive carefully. You will live longer and you will arrive alive. There's been considerable discussion of what constitutes good and evil over the last few millenniums. But, you know, there's an interesting comment someone made. I don't know where it did originate. Melodrama is the conflict between good and evil. And tragedy is the conflict between good and good. When two good men, each with a good point to make, get into conflict, that's where real tragedy starts. All right, Professor. I've got the lifeboat into the atmosphere and leveled off. So where do I head now? I'm... Wake up, you wool-headed dreamer. Uh, I'm sorry, Marshal. I, I was thinking, looking out the porthole and thinking. What about? How lovely the sky is. So blue. And the land below, mountains and forests and hopeful young farms. Oh, no. A poet yet. Well, I'm thinking about my job of inspection. Where shall we go? Fly north, northeast for 700 kilometers and you'll find this planet's largest city. It's also the capital of their world government. That'll do. I should be able to observe a pretty good cross-section of the genius race. Do you seriously believe you can decide the fate of an entire world on the basis of what you see in one city? How do you expect to learn anything even there? You don't speak any of the local languages, not even the international one that developed. You'll talk for both of us. We'll claim to be visitors from a long ways off, the opposite hemisphere. We'll just wander around town for a couple of days and I'll get the feel of the place. You, you mean you, you decide whether these people live or die just on the basis of a, of a hunch? Now, here we are. Landed in an empty meadow. You sure nobody will happen by? Well, what do they do? The lifeboat is invisible. Even so. 
Well, we don't want the genius people learning the truth, uh, do we, Professor? No, of course not. On that, you and I do agree. But my own motive is that I, I don't want to spoil the experiment. Come on, let's get moving. We'll have to hike into the city. Nice outdoors. Sunshine. I don't know when I last breathed air that didn't come out of a tank. And you turn all this into black radioactive ash. Come on, I said, let's start walking. Well, there's a road. Hmm. It's pretty well paved. Oh, yes. Ten years ago, this was a livestock trail. Today, they're driving steam automobiles over it. I predict that ten years from now, the first airplane will use this for a landing strip. Where's the mass market to support all that progress? There isn't much of one. Actually, most people here are still riding around in buggies. You see, they have a unique social system. The average man on this planet would rather buy a new book than a new gadget. But at the same time, their engineers keep on making inventions because a mind of such power can't help being creative. And I tell you, the Empire can't afford what you call creativeness. So this is their biggest city. Why? There are about a million people in it. <laughs> you call that a city? Considering the small population of this world? Yes. <laughs> it's backward, all right. Carts pulled by animals. Water pumped by windmills. Bearded men in clothes of vegetable fiber. Wood and plaster houses. Gas lamps. <laughs> That's what I, I keep telling you, Marshal. These people aren't demons. They're as human as you and I. They're born the same way as us. Grow up, learn, love, laugh, weep and die like human beings anywhere in all space and time. They simply happen to be more intelligent. Let them live. Seventy generations ago, they were savages. They didn't even know how to chip a flint. And now they've come to this. Yes. Our observers mingling with them in disguise have already learned more about historical dynamics than... I'm sure, this city is still primitive. But in another hundred years, they have schools, laboratories... They don't frown on artists and scientists and philosophers. They glorify them. So, in a hundred years, they'll be out among the stars. And we don't dare allow that. But they won't, Marshal. Not necessarily. If only you'd let me show you the economic data. For instance, the great uninhabited spaces they still have right on their home planet. Shut up. I'm thinking. Thinking? <laughs> I doubt if you're able to. What did you say? Uh, nothing. I have a knife, Grand Marshal Gorham. You don't know that, do you? You think I'm just another ineffectual little dreamer, don't you? Well, you may find out different. If by militarist we mean someone who believes that it is necessary to use physical force to carry out, to implement a theory, a belief then uh, it looks to me like Professor Heim has become a militarist. He intends to use force, doesn't he? Haraldo Solot, heard that? What did he say, that, that bellhop or whatever he was? He wished us good night in the international language. He thinks we're foreigners, you remember? <laughs> if he only knew how foreign. That's a cheap way to feel superior, isn't it? Oh, shut up, Heim. I'm still trying to decide what to do about this planet. There are too many paradoxes. 
The waiter in the restaurant wanted to ask you about the ethnology of the country he thought we came from. This is a nice, clean hotel room, but it doesn't have running water. And yet the clerk downstairs was reading what I swear must have been a mathematical journal. That make them monsters? Under the social system here, such routine jobs are done by students. And, of course, every person on this planet goes through at least five years of college. But that's all it amounts to, Gorham. A whole world of long-haired dreamers who are experimenting with aircraft and rockets, who developed the theory of evolution before they learned how to smelt iron. I don't trust them. Of course, you don't understand them. You're too... I, I, I mean... Too stupid? Isn't that what you're going to say, Professor? I'm just a dumb militarist who worked his way from private soldier to grand marshal of the Galactic Empire. No fine scientist, just a hired hand keeping the barbarian raiders off your scientific back. Well, Professor Heimer, I happen to be the man who will decide what's to become of this planet of geniuses. And have you decided yet, Your Excellency? Not yet. I can still take a couple of days to... Two more days? After the Foundation work of 1,500 years? Hey, what are you doing? This is a knife in my hand, Marshal Gorham. Don't move. If you reach for that blaster, I'll kill you. You go, go, go crazy, huh? No. You're the crazy one. You're the lunatic who wouldn't blood out man's last best hope, this planet. You'll allow yourself three days to decide the whole future of the world. Unbuckle that blaster. Don't let your hand come near the trigger, I'll... Drop it on the floor. Kick it over to me. So. Now I've got you where I want you. But, Professor, I haven't decided anything yet. I might decide this experiment is safe. I might still report to the Emperor. There's nothing to be afraid of. He can forget your race. <laughs> you might. But I know you won't. I'm going to kill you, Marshal Gorham. I'm going to report to the spaceship captain that you died accidentally. And then I'm going to hope that the next Imperial Inspector will be more reasonable. Look out! Stand back, you fool! No! I always stabbed you in the arm that time, Marshal Gorham. But you're in a corner now. I'll get you this time. Go! Go, Varadan! Go along! I don't go along, you wreck! Who's done it, Schulte? Go! Go! You... You... You spoke... You spoke their language. You already know the language of this planet... Yeah. The attendant has the key, of course. He's coming in. Drop that knife, Professor Heim. He's a husky chap. Shalom, Yeah. Take the order. Drop that knife, I said, Professor. Yes, of course. Sit down, Heim. You look more shocked than I am. Yeah, He's gone after the first aid kit for me. Not that you hurt me seriously. I, I'm sorry. It doesn't matter. And you, you're a native of this planet yourself. Yes. I was born here, though I've lived most of my life out in the Empire. <laughs> we thought we were keeping a planet full of geniuses and ignorance. How long have you known? We began to suspect the truth 500 years ago. And we discovered that all life had evolved from lower forms, but couldn't find a subhuman ancestor for man. Now, finally, your disguised observers were identified. We even used blind man techniques to spot those wearing invisibility screens. Did you really expect you could go on fooling a race with twice your brain power? Well, we thought so. Yes, I, I suppose it was foolish. Some of us wormed our way into space as throwaways are, are in disguise, that sort of thing. 
people here live quietly, so as not to give the show away. We don't tell our children the truth till they're old enough to keep up the pretense. But meanwhile, for the past 300 years, our agents have been out on the empire, learning everything you know, posing as citizens, working up into the key positions of your government. We can do that by sheer merit. Yes, obviously, you can become imperial marshals. Quite. <laughs> and when the emperor got suspicious, he, he sent me, his trusted soldier, a notorious anti-intellectual, to check up for him. Naturally, I was going to give this planet a clean bill of health, but I had to string you along first to make it look good. Evidently, I put on a better act than I had planned. And now that I, I know your secret... I'll have to report that you were accidentally killed here, Professor. But don't worry. All you have to do is uh, spend the rest of your life here as one of us. I don't think you'll mind that. Oh, no. Not personally. I, I, I'd enjoy it. I used to envy the people on this world. But uh, when you, on your race, I mean, when you've completely taken over the Galactic Empire from within, what do you plan to do? Well, we'll remodel it, shall I say. I'm afraid you wouldn't understand exactly what we intend to do. It's a little beyond your grasp. But but it will be for the benefit of the ordinary galactic citizen, too. (laughs) The poor, backward, benighted galactic empire. say that the first requirement for teaching a dog to do tricks is that you have to know more than the dog. If you want to teach a planet full of geniuses to do tricks for you, first make sure you know more than the geniuses. You can enslave some kinds of entities, but you can't enslave, you can't impose on entities who are more intelligent, more thoughtful, more wise than you yourself. Uh, what will happen is they'll turn out to be helping you in disguise. Fascinating adventure in Exploring Tomorrow. Heard in our cast tonight were Ron Dawson and Al Ruscio. Script was by Powell Anderson, produced and directed by Sanford Marshall here in New York. Guy Wallace speaking. And that's this week's Mutual Presents feature. The Mutual Audio Network brings the best of old-time radio and modern audio theater to the world. Be sure to subscribe through the Mutual Audio Network podcast feed, any of our podcast days, or the Mutual YouTube channel, which includes MadCon and many other extra features and shows. See you all next time at Mutual Presents. Good night. Thank you for listening to Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. We invite you to continue the amazing audio tomorrow on Mutual with the Monday Matinee.
our weekly series of dramatic, theatrical, classic, eclectic, and live radio dramas. You can subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed every day for the world's largest curated collection of audio drama, or find the Monday Matinee feed in your favorite podcast players. See you tomorrow at the Matinee, and thanks so much for listening. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together. 